Well, good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Oh, everybody's like hey, chatting hey. around and being social, which is awesome. Well, good morning, FCC Church. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday and Easter Sunday. Could you please stand and join us in worship?
Luke 24, 6 reminds us he is not here, but he is risen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity we have to come together this morning to worship. And Lord, we're thankful that we're not here for a funeral service, but a celebration of life. That as we celebrate the life of Jesus, the work that he's done, the love that he's shown, the sacrifice that he made. And Father, as we're gathered here this morning, I pray that we can just keep him in the forefront of our minds. And we're so thankful for the gift of eternal life that we have through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good, morning. good to see everybody this morning. It's good. I'm glad you could join us for Easter. For those of you who had the opportunity to go to Easter breakfast and had a lot of carbs, watching, make sure you're not sleeping. <laughs> but we're here to worship together and glad you can join us. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us this morning. First time guests, if you fill one out. You'll just get two text messages, one with the uh, connection card, one with the survey, and we won't use it for any other purposes, so you can trust us with that. Well, at this time, we're going to continue lifting up the Lord in song this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today on Resurrection Sunday. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, every circumstance, I believe you are my fortress, you are my portion, you are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way. The truth, the lie, I believe to every blessing, every promise, every breath I take. I believe that you are provider, you are protector, you are the one I love. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you, and you meet me here today, with mercies that are new, all my fears and doubts, they can all come too, because they can't stay long, when I'm here with you, it's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. 
Corinthians 15 21 for since death came through a man the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man that man is Jesus
confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved Take 
Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, we did this for first service, and um, hello. Uh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, we did this for first service, and I'm going to share with you what I shared with them. And one of the wonderful things about waking up this morning was the sun coming up. And when I looked at the sun, I was realizing so many years ago what God did for us. There was this beautiful day of something that we can rejoice in right now. And there's scars. And then is this, <clears throat> in these scars, they were proof that he was risen. And it's so nice to sit here, stand here and celebrate that he is alive and he's not in that tomb. 
I will tell you, I would love to hear you guys sing this song if you know it. And um, there's a part about scars. <clears throat> if it doesn't reach your heart, just listen to the words. Close your eyes. Because I know that I have a son that I couldn't do what God did for us. But he loves us that much that he did that for us. Thank you. When I was young, you called my name. I tried to run, but you, you came. And you stepped into the dark, because that's just the kind of God you are. When heaven seems beyond my reach, you still see eternity in me. You're turning ashes into art, because that's just the kind of God you are. It's in the empty tomb. It's on the rugged cross. Your death-defying love is written in your scars. You'll never quit on me. You'll always hold my heart, because that's the kind of God you are. You gave me freedom from my sin. You told me I can start again. All the hurt is dead and gone. Now we're your daughters and your sons. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We once were lost, but now we're found. Forever you hold us in your arms, because that's just the kind of God you are. Oh, it's in the empty tomb, it's on the rugged cross, your dead defying love is written in your scars. You'll never quit on me, you'll always hold my heart, cause that's the kind of God you are, you are holy, 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 high and set apart, you
that's the kind of God you are. Sing it with us. It's in the empty tomb. It's on the rugged cross. Your dead defying love is written in your scars. You'll never quit on me. That's the kind of God you are. You are holy. Yes, you are. You are holy. God, yes, you are. to run but you still came and you stepped into the dark cause that's just the kind of God you are Amen I hope we hear that one in the rotation. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> Glad you're here with us this morning as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And Have you ever thought about what will happen at the end of your life? I know, at least in my life, I've known as I've gotten older, that question comes up more. I don't know why, but I seem to reflect on it a little more. I mean... Will you live your life going to the ground or going to the furnace, depending on what you do with your body, and it be over? Or is there more? I have some good news for those this morning. Who Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online. and Your perception of life is that you live, you die, it's over, and eventually you're gone and forgotten. I don't know about you, but that just is very depressing. It almost defies logic. But we have a joyous occasion to celebrate today. We celebrate as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Today shows that we do not just live and die and it's over, but this is a day that we celebrate the fact that there is more to this life than what's here. It's either going to be something very glorious or something not so glorious, but we have that opportunity to have a wonderful eternal life with, with our Father in heaven. Today we celebrate probably the most significant moment outside of maybe creation and I would contend this is even more significant than anything in human history. When, what it is, we are celebrating God raising his son Jesus from the dead. The resurrection is one of the most crucial, if not the most crucial event in our history. 
because the resurrection is not something that just, it was not just some event that happened a couple thousand years ago, but it is an event that happened but still has positive effects on our life today. I mean, some things happen in life, it burns into our memory, it may change us a little bit, but ultimately, there's nothing else in life that happens that has a permanent effect on us. Because this event allows us to have something that we never could have without it, and that's eternal life through Christ. Eternal life in heaven with our creator, the God who made you, the God who loves you, and the God who did everything possible outside of taking away your free will to allow you to have eternal life with him. Because of this event, we can have that opportunity because it gives what the word of God, it gives power to the word of God. The resurrection of Jesus also puts a, it puts God's stamp of authenticity on Jesus being the one and only Son of God, to be the only one, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Jesus was not just a God or just a piece of creation. Jesus is God, and the resurrection is God saying, this is my Son. This is my Son. Everything I've said from the beginning is true. Have you ever thought about this? You ever considered that we do not have a day to celebrate the resurrection of Confucius, Buddha, Mohammed, L. Ron Hubbard. Why are you laughing at that? He was a science fiction writer who wrote a science fiction religion. I mean, come on, who wouldn't believe that? Hollywood, excuse me. Um, Joseph Smith or any other figure. We don't have a resurrection Sunday for anybody but Jesus, and you know why? Because nobody else did. None of these other people who claim some kind of religious authority, you know where they are? They're in the ground. They've rotted. Their bones may still be there, but they have died. They have not risen from the tomb. There is no empty tomb for them. They're dead, and they're a piece of history. See, there's nothing to celebrate with them. There's no power behind their words because they are not preeminent like Jesus. The resurrection puts that stamp of authenticity on him. Because of Jesus, we can celebrate a significant event. We are not gathered here today on Death Sunday, on Dead in the Tomb Sunday, Never Risen Again Sunday, just like all the other false prophets have, but we are here on Resurrection Sunday, and we're celebrating this. Now, the resurrection of Jesus is probably the most attacked event in the Bible, and when you think about it, it should be, because without it, we have nothing. We have nothing. You know, I've heard one comedian says, is that all you got? Yep, that's all we got. No resurrection, no power, nothing else. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But it's understandable that this event is attacked because it's incredible to think that God sent his son in the form of man to live a perfect life and to die for our sins. It's incredible. But yet here we have a resurrection that proves the incredible story. If you're the follower of another religion, or you, and by the way, there is no, everyone is religious. Everyone. Everyone has a God they worship. It's either going to be something that somebody else made up, or you're, you're, you're a God unto yourself. But no one is without a God. We're wired this way. But if you're following one of those paths, the resurrection of Jesus should make you stand back and say, hmm, really? What do I have to match that in my belief system? In other words, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. What I'm saying is I'm a God unto myself. Okay, by what are you going to base that assumption on? 
What power do you have to show that you being a good person is going to do anything for you? I mean, really, maybe God wants you to be a rotten, evil person and you'll go to heaven. We're just thinking you have to be a good person. See, there's nothing there. But with Jesus and the fact that we can celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we have something. We have something that we can lean on. The 15th chapter of the the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul hits us with this powerful description of the gospel and what happens with it and without it and what we're to do with it. The big idea to our message this morning is that Jesus' resurrection is actually a promise that more will come. It doesn't end with him. And as we work through this passage together this morning, we will see why Jesus has preeminence over everything. Why he is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. No matter what society tells you, no matter what, how many polls we want to take, the fact of the matter is that those things have no power, but Jesus does. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to begin with verses 1 through 4. It says this. Now I want to make it clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, that you received, and on which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold firmly to the message I have preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the first part of our message is the gospel. Before we go very deep into things, we need to understand what the gospel is. The first four verses, Paul explains why this is so important. The gospel that Paul preached, he says, you heard it, and you believe it, and you stand on it, and if you do, you have salvation. See, we're not saved by any other other means or any other person. There is no other testaments of Jesus by which we're saved. There are no other religious books out there that which we're saved. There's no science fiction writer that can write a religion by which you're saved. You're saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ because, as we'll see, it has power. It has been authenticated. We have salvation through the blood of Christ and Christ, of lo- Christ alone. This is one of the reasons that Jesus has preeminence over everyone else. He has something. He can give you something that no one else can. But Paul says for that gospel that you heard to be effective, you got to stand on it. you got to believe it, according to verse 3. And he says in verse 2, he says, we must hold fast to this gospel unless we are believing in vain. Now, believing in vain speaks of one who gives the gospel lip service, but it has no real impact on them. They can talk a good talk, they may know some things, but ultimately you're believing in vain if you've just heard the message and it's done nothing for you or nothing to you. And see, Paul says, this message will save you, but you've got to believe it, and you've got to stand on it. And believing it is not just saying, oh, I heard it, okay, yeah, it's, it's true, it's a fact I heard in school or whatever, well, you wouldn't hear it in school anymore, but it's just a fact that I heard somewhere, and yeah, it's good. Belief means that it does something with you and to you. We are saved by the gospel message if we allow it to produce the effects that it's called to, 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 to work in our life. The gospel is not meant for us to say, oh, that sounds really good, that's really sweet teaching, and then we just walk away. And then we mistreat each other, and then we don't represent Jesus the way we should. That's not the gospel working in our life. In verses 3 and 4, Paul explains what the message is. 
Now, naturally, there are many facets to God's work in Christ that both Paul preached and taught on, the other apostles preached and taught on. But in verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5, Paul emphasizes the centrality of four major points. Each of these is introduced by the term that. Our message was that Christ died according, excuse me, died for our sins according to Scripture. That's the first part. Christ died for our sins. That is part of the gospel message. And then it says that he was buried. He died. He, bur- he was buried. He died for those sins. He was buried for those sins. And that he rose on the third day is the third that according to the scriptures. And finally, that he appeared. That is the gospel message in a nutshell. That is the focal point of the gospel. And when people try to add all these other things to the gospel and take away some of these things from the gospel, that is no longer the gospel because we are redefining it. And when you redefine what God defines, you are, you are not, you're not able to do that. You're not supposed to do that because it changes it. Nothing can be added or removed from the message. Paul lays out that gospel that we must stand on no matter what. Today, it's very popular to say, well, there are many paths to God. Respectfully, no, there's not. Well, there are many truths. Respectfully, no, there's not. There are many different ways you can get there just by however you want. Respectfully, no, you can't. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through him. I keep pounding that message for a reason. Because even people sitting in church this morning said, well, you know, in school they taught me this, this, and this, and this. It's funny how in school they can teach you everything but about God. But anyway, that's another point. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what the majority of Americans think. It's what God says. It's what Jesus says. He's the way. Nothing to be added, nothing to be taken away. No twisting and turning who Jesus was. He is the one and only Son of God, period. And anything outside of that is not the gospel. You're not winning people to Jesus with that. Let's pop down to verses 5 through 11. I love this passage. I love this part. So in verse 5, he says, and this is the last that that we talked about in the last point, that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as though to one born at a wrong time, he appeared to me also. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of, the, all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Whether it was for I or they, this is the way we preach, and this is the way you believe. So the second observation from this passage is Paul gives us the gospel. He says, oh, by the way, let's talk about the witnesses. Now, is it an event if there's no witnesses? If something happens and no one sees it, is it really an event? I mean, we do this thing back in Missouri. This is why we're kind of rednecks, because we fish, and our necks get burned when we're out in the boat, you know, trying to catch fish. But you don't go fishing alone. You know why? Because there's no story. There's no story to tell. You know, oh, you might have go fishing alone. You catch a nine-pound bass. Well, okay, that's great, but it's boring. 
But you go with somebody that you're fishing with and you catch that, and now you got an event. It's cool. And then one of the things I loved about graduating high school, my 10-year reunion, we're getting ready to do my 40th? Holy cow. I need a walker. Give me a walker. I don't think I can make it through the rest of the sermon here. But I, I determined, I learned after 10 years of being out of high school how much better of a baseball player I became. Because I had people tell me, oh, you were so good and so this. I'm like, wow, you must remember somebody different than me. I tried hard. But the thing is, um, when you go golf, I know, I know probably some people are strange and go golfing alone, but you always go with somebody. You know why? Because you want them to see that one shot that brings you back. I used to play golf. I can't anymore. My back's too jacked up. But now the other bad part of that is they get to see your religion on the rest of the course when you're upset about all the other bad shots and trying to lose all the balls that you knock in the woods and on the lake and every other stupid hazard they put on a golf course. But that one shot that's like, oh. See, it happened because somebody was there. And I'm going to move this through this kind of quickly, but why does Paul go through the trouble of listing this? Why does he mention it? Well, the letter that we're reading was written in about AD 57. Jesus died and was raised in about AD 30, okay? So there's been about 27 years in between. And as you read the passage, you'll see that some people, for whatever reason, mainly probably because of societal pressures, were starting to doubt the possibility of resurrection. And Paul wanted the people to remember that many people saw Jesus after the resurrection. These were objective appearances, not hysteria, not figments of the imagination, not a story that people made up. And so Paul gives a specific list of people, some of them who were known to the Corinthian church, uh, some of them who might have been there in the audience that day. And he said of the 500 at once that saw him, some of them, were, some of them passed away, but most of them are still alive. And these are just a fraction of the appearances. He didn't mention the road to Emmaus. There were a lot of things he didn't mention here. But the point is, the resurrection didn't take place in fairy tale land. It didn't take place on, Kran on planet Krypton or whatever, Krypton, on Krypton, somewhere that doesn't exist. It happened, on, it happened on this planet in the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. That's where it happened a real place you can go to the map and point to it. You can go today and, and take the tours and see where they say things happen. They're not always accurate, but it happened in Jerusalem. When you go into the Jordan River, that's the same Jordan River Jesus walked in. It's amazing. That's just an amazing thought. Jesus didn't resurrect in some planet where no one saw him, or the resurrection didn't happen somewhere that nobody saw, and then it's, and some, oh, by the way, he's resurrected. Well, how do you know? Well, the tomb's empty. Well, okay, what's that prove? Somebody stole the body. Nope. You don't steal a body that's alive and that's, that, that appears. And it's interesting that Paul mentions, the first one is, he mentions Peter. Remember Peter? Before the, before the, uh, the crucifixion, I'll die with you, Jesus. I'll die for you. Jesus says, no, you know what? You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. No, 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 no. Peter, crying like a little schoolgirl, guess what he did? Denied him three times. Ran hidden shame. And then he mentions the 12. Now, the 12 is a technical term that refers to all the apostles, even though at that point there were only 11. Well, where were the 12? At that time, the 11, because Judas offed himself. Where were the other 11 when the crucifixion was happening? Were they in the streets of Jerusalem proclaiming the injustice and claiming, you're, you're killing the Son of God, but you know what? We're going to see him in three days. Is that what they were doing? Nope hiding. I can't believe they even got out on Sunday to go to the tomb. 
They were hiding behind locked doors. These are no heroes. These are no people. This is not a group of men who are full of faith, ready to take on the world, ready to do the mission God gave them. They were scared. And I would say they were cowards, but you know what? I'd probably be hiding right with them. So I'd be a coward too. It's easy after that. Oh, I'd do this. Well, when the bullet's flying at your head, it's a little different story. And for those of you who've been in battle, you know that very well. One time a friend of mine, you're a really good shot. I said, yeah, nobody's shooting back. It's a whole different story. But why did he mention the 12? You know why? Because these men were hiding. They were fearful. These men feared for their lives. They were in no position to proclaim a gospel message. They were in no position to say, he's the risen Savior. You know why? They were afraid to die. Have you ever really thought through this deeply? How could those 11 that were left go from being afraid to within days being in the streets of Jerusalem in front of the same people they were afraid were going to kill them, proclaiming Jesus? And even to the point where they were arrested at times, they were beaten. And I don't know about you, but I take a beating. I'm not really cool about that. It hurts too much. But these guys counted it a blessing. They counted it a joy that they could suffer for the name of Christ. These men wanted no part of suffering when he was dying. They could have all stepped up and said, yeah, we're with him too. Bring it on. But they didn't. But they did later. Peter was so afraid he denied Jesus three times. One in front of a little girl. How do you go from fearful to fearless? And then he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the 12. And James, I love James. This is the half-brother of Jesus, you know, son of Mary, one of Mary's kids. And I don't know about you, but if my little brother, when we were growing up, started feeding me this stuff that he's a son of God, I'd have punched him in the mouth. We'd have been in a fight. Like, leave me alone. You're the little brother. If anybody's going to be a God, it's going to be me because I'm the oldest. James wrote, lived with Jesus, and, and you can read in Scripture where James didn't believe him. Now, how do you go from that dude who was raised with Jesus, not believing him, to eventually being a pillar of the church of Jesus Christ and eventually dying for that faith? And he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve. And he appeared to James. And then Paul, one of my favorites. Paul tells us here, I'm really unworthy. You know why? Because I persecuted the church. Paul was rounding up Christians to have them killed. Paul was a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews. He thought he was doing God's will. It wasn't because he had malice. He said, these folks are blaspheming God, therefore they have to die. And that's what he did. And then all of a sudden, this dude writes most of the New Testament and is winning people and planting churches all over the place. What happened? And he appeared to Paul. Hmm. And then, of course, he mentions, hey, he appeared to 500 at one time. Many of them are still here. You can go talk to them. <laughs> have you seen Jesus? And if you say physically you have, we'll have a talk. I'm talking about, have you seen Jesus? Yeah. See, if you have, you're never the same. Because these, this group of men here were fearful and they went to fear less. You know what changed for them? They saw Jesus. Seeing Jesus changes you. Hearing about Jesus doesn't do much for you. Talking about Jesus doesn't do much for you. But when you see Jesus, things change. 
Have you seen Jesus in the life of other people? That's how you're going to see him. Have you seen Jesus through the word of God? Have you seen Jesus working through your life? Have you seen Jesus when you walk through the doors of the church? Because when you see Jesus, you will be different. Think about this. The apostles, the 12, including Judas, walked with Jesus for three years. They watched him heal people. They watched him raise Lazarus. Some of them saw the transfiguration. He turned water into wine. He healed the blind, the sick, those who were demon-possessed. These men were in the front row watching it. But see, they really didn't see Jesus. They were just with him. But when Jesus rose on the third day and he appeared to them, they saw Jesus for the first time. That's when their lives changed. As strange as it might seem, them just walking with him, watching the miracles, listening to the teaching, seeing the, the you know, feeding of the 5,000 didn't change them. It excited them. They're like, hey, it's cool. We're hanging out with Jesus. And I, you know how I know that? Because when the chips were down, where were they? They ran. They denied. They were scared. They had nothing to do with him. But then they saw him, and they changed. And my contention is we, as Christians, when we see Jesus, we're different. We're changed. We, don't, we no longer play this sort of Christian game. We're sold out. The apostles, in fairness, they were playing sort of Jesus until they saw him, and then they changed. Let's look at verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. Also, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead when in reality he did not raise him, if indeed the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. You're still in your sins. Furthermore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. For if, there is, for if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be the most pitied more than anyone. So now Paul takes us to what I call the what-ifs. He gives us a, six, he gives us a list of six implications that happen if there's no resurrection. What ifs? And he uses for for if, for if, for if, and that's how you can uh, split them up. But these, when we look at these six implications, we can see why the resurrection is the foundation of the Christian faith. The first what if, he says, well, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then guess what? Christ has not been raised. You see this in verse 13 and 16. Christ was killed. He was buried. He was in the tomb for three days. His cold, lifeless body, the spirit had left it. And then after three days, he was raised. These things, being in the tomb for three days, would make a resurrection very difficult. If you have a person who dies in the hospital, and they put them, and they take them off all the life support, and and the breath leaves their body, everything else quits, you will not raise them in three days. It will not happen. It cannot happen. Jesus could not have raised himself on the third day. The power of God raised him. Three days. It wasn't like it was 30 minutes. We've all read stories where somebody might be dead on the table for minutes and minutes and minutes, and they come and they bring them back, and they're fine. It happens. Not three days. Plus, the medical staff wouldn't work on them that long. 
Or even if you put somebody on life support and they're dead, they're brain dead, typically they're not going to come back. But Jesus came back. Jesus had the same body that we have, probably in a little better shape. He ate the food that we eat. He drank like we drink. He suffered pain. He, had, he was hungry. He was thirsty. He wasn't something any different. He has the same body that we have. But, and verse 16 tells us the same thing. There's like 27 years between the resurrection and the, and the time of this writing, and there was no evidence whatsoever presented that says that Jesus wasn't raised. But yet Paul says, why do you all think it is? Because if there's no resurrection from the dead, Jesus is still dead, contrary to belief, contrary to the evidence. The second what if is if Jesus hasn't ra- wasn't raised, the message is not true. And the messengers gave false testimony about God. So if Jesus indeed wasn't raised from the dead, the gospel has no power because there's no message. There's nothing to it. We would just be another false religion offering false hope based on false evidence because we're saying God raised him from the dead when he didn't. But yet we're basing our faith on a resurrection that didn't happen. Do you see the problem here? Paul tells us if the resurrection didn't happen, the preaching is in vain. The word vain means that it's hollow, void of reality, and meaningless. In other words, it's a fairy tale. So if you can prove the resurrection never happened, you're right, we've got a book of fairy tales. That's all it is at that point. And that's what Paul acknowledges. Without the resurrection being true, the Bible itself is false. It's a false testimony, and everything we've done is wrong. If we proclaim that God did something that he didn't do, we're false witnesses. When we take God's gospel and we add to it and we subtract to it or we try to add books to it, guess what we're doing? We're false witnesses. We're adding what God never added. The third one is if Christ had not been raised, our faith is empty. In other words, no resurrection, no power. In verse 17, Paul uses a different word than he used in verse 14. In verse 14, he talked about it being in vain. Verse 17, he uses really the word useless. In other words, with no resurrection, what we're doing here means nothing. It's useless. It's a waste of time. All the dedication you put into God's word is a waste. Oh, you'll learn some things that'll make your life better. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately, it's useless. You know why? Because it can't deliver the goods. It says, hey, if you follow Jesus and give your life to Jesus, you're baptized in Jesus, you're going to have new life, and you're going to have eternal life. Well, if you didn't raise from the dead, no, you won't. You're just going to be dead. That's what he tells us here. All the promises, the God's plan of salvation, they are worthless if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. All of Christianity rises and falls with the resurrection. Without our resurrection, our faith in God, his church, and eternal life has no foundation. If you're a person that wants to follow another religion or if you believe that all you got to do is be a good person, let me just ask you a simple question. What evidence do you have to base, to base your belief upon? What evidence do you have? In other words, if you're one of those good person ones, which essentially you don't mean it this way, but you're your own God, what evidence do you have that says your belief system is going to get you anything? What do you got? Show me. Show yourself. Uh, if you're going to follow the dude who wrote Scientology, what evidence do you have that anything he wrote's worth anything that he put on paper? Or anything that Joseph Smith put on paper? Or anything that anybody else has ever put on paper? What evidence do you have that it's true? Not blind, stupid faith, okay? I'm talking evidence. People say a lot of times as Christians, you've got to lop your head off. You know, I have heard this statement that says, well, if you don't, have, if you don't think about it, it makes sense. I think that's how it goes. No, Christianity, it's very intellectual. There's evidence. We see it. We read it. 
Do you have that with all these others? No, you don't. You're just hoping. When I was getting ready to turn 16 a long time ago, and we did have cars back then, Model T's, I think, I can't remember. But I kept thinking, I don't know why, but I kept thinking my parents were going to get me a car for my 16th birthday. Man, I wanted a car so bad, and I'm not like these spoiled kids today that have to have a Mercedes or whatever. I just wanted something with a steering wheel, gas tank, engine, you know, something I could drive, man, something I could cruise the loop in. And I kept thinking it was going to happen, kept thinking it was going to happen. I kept hoping it was happening. I was building up my hopes. Birthday came, no car. I had nothing to base my hope upon. I knew my parents were going to buy me a car. No way. They told me to get a job. Now, same story with my youngest daughter. They drove all the way from Missouri the one time they came here and brought her a car. I don't know why they did that for her and not me. But anyway, that's another story. Old people trying to get to heaven or something. I don't know. But I'm still mad about that. Not really. It saved me a lot of money. Um, but the thing is, without Jesus raising from the dead, we're just another group that follows a bunch of cleverly devised tales. We might as well have some holy salamander give us a gospel because that's what it'd be worth. Be worth nothing. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, raised on the third day after he died for our sins, we might as well shut the church down and turn it into a something else because what we're doing would be worthless. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot be a Christian if you don't believe in the resurrection because without the resurrection, what you believe has no power. Nothing to back it up. The fourth what if is Jesus says, well, if Jesus, or Paul says, if Jesus is still dead, guess what? You're still dead in your sins in verse 17. What cleanses us from our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus the Son of God, the sinless Son of God. And this fifth one, or excuse me, this is very depressing because what this means is, is that when you die, you're going to die without God. The fifth what if is very depressing because it ties right into this. If we've lost loved ones who are Christians, there's a problem because he said, if Christ has not been raised, those who have died before him, before us, excuse me, are condemned. The Bible uses the word perished. That word means that you die without eternal life. It means that you die spending eternity separated from the loving God who created you. So if Jesus is still in that tomb, everybody, anybody you know who's Christian, they're separated from God because their sins were never cleansed. The perishing here is spoken of, it's not a physical death, but it's a, it's, excuse me, it's dying lost, and that's even worse. If Jesus hasn't been raised, your loved one won't be either. You know, every funeral you go to, everybody, oh, they're in a better place, they're in a better place. Okay, if you're a Christian, amen. If you're not, based on what? Now, I would never say that in the funeral. Well, what do you base that on? I just keep my mouth shut. But seriously, if you're outside of Christ and you die, and, you, and people say, oh, they're in a better place, based on what evidence? You don't have any. It's just hope. It's like me hoping for that car at 16 that never happened. The final what if is Jesus says, or Paul says this, if Jesus is still dead, we are to be the most pitied of all people. Why? Because all of our hopes, dreams, and aspirations, everything that we live for, it was for nothing. How depressing to live and die for something that's a waste. I had a friend of mine once ask me, and, and I thought I answered him properly at the time, but as I think about it, I really didn't. He said, Jeff, he said, what if what you believe in isn't true, and you just die and you die? And I said, well, you know, I'll play your game. Um, if that's the case, I feel like I've lived a good life, 
I've helped people, been a blessing to people. Hopefully more people like me than didn't. Hopefully I've been more of a blessing than a curse. Um, you know, life, I've had a good life. I've had a faithful life with my wife. I raise kids, cats now. You know, it's just a good thing. Um, but then I looked at my friend Kevin. I said, what if I'm right and you're wrong? What's that going to happen? What's going to happen with your life? He walked away. But what I should have told him, I said, you know what? If you're right, yeah, all these good things happen, but I'm supposed, I should be as pitied as you are because I wasted my life living for something that wasn't true. Let's quickly close with verses 20, uh, 20 to 28 says this. this You've got to follow this. This gets really, I wish Paul would have written this a little simpler. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I probably should stop there, but I'll finish it up. For since death came through a man, the resurrection from the dead also came through a man. For just as in all Adam die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then when Christ comes, those who belong to him, so in essentially Christ is going to be, he's raised, when he comes back, those who are in him are going to be raised with him. Makes it simple. Then when the end comes, when he hands the kingdom over to, the, to, the, to God the Father, when he has brought to an end all rule and authority and power, he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be eliminated is death. For he has put everything under subjection under his feet. But when it says everything has been put under subjection, it is clear that this does not include the one who put everything into subjection, into sub, everything in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be in all. Oh, sorry, I didn't put verse 28 up. So what I want to finish on quickly is this, the first fruits. The Bible tells us death came through Adam. And by the way, this is why there's not billions of years between days of creation. Christians are trying to gel what a theory with Scripture. It doesn't work. Nothing died until sin. No animals, no people, nothing died. No Death came in, physical death came because of sin. If there was never any sin, nothing would have died. But that's not the way it worked. And so the Bible tells us that through Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus the many will be raised, and he calls Jesus the first fruits. Now, if you've ever planted a garden, uh, I love strawberries. My father-in-law used to love them. I really do. I love strawberries, man. I get those and eat them. I make my wife make me a pie with them, or I'll eat them and, you know, with, with, with whipped cream. My little cat, Brookie, she likes little whipped creams. So I give her some, too, you know, keep her happy. But I love strawberries. But when you plant strawberries, you don't wake up one morning and the plants are inundated with strawberries. There's usually one that pops up or a couple. That first one is the first fruits. And that tells you that there's more coming. If the plant's healthy, that first one says you're going to have more. The next morning you wake up, there's some more. Then the next morning, some more. If you keep the rabbits out of them, of course, and the raccoons. But there's more and more and more and more. And so what we find here to make this kind of brief is Jesus was resurrected, but he's not the only one. We will be also. We will live eternally with him. We will be raised with him. And those who are without him will be raised too, but they will be separated from him. And that's the fate we don't, want to, we don't want to find. Have you ever pondered what will happen to your life when your life on this earth is done? Maybe you haven't thought about it, but maybe today's a good day to start, about, start thinking about it. God sent his son so that you could have eternal life so you don't have to worry about that. So that when you die... Your life's not going to be over when you die, by the way, one way or the other. The difference is where you're going to be. 
You going to be with the creator who loved you and made you? Or are you going to be with the one who's tried to destroy you his whole life and your whole existence? I guarantee you, you don't want choice B. God, Jesus defeated death, the final, the final foe, and he will defeat it fully when he returns. And this morning, if you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to sing a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. It's time for your resurrection, to have your old self die and your new self rise and walk in a newness of life in Christ. If you need that this morning, we offer you that opportunity to confess Jesus as your Lord, to put your faith in him, to repent to him of your sins, to go into the baptistry where you're going to meet Jesus, you're going to rise and walk in a newness of life, your sins are washed away, and you're a new creation. The guilt and the shame that you've been dealing with, you don't have to anymore. God takes it from you. If you need that, we offer you that. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning, and we'd love to extend the right hand of Christian fellowship to you. If you need prayer, come forward. I'd be glad to pray with you. But we're going to sing our song of decision now. If you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward this morning. All the world is watching All the world does care Even when the world Weighs on my shoulders now These feelings I can bear Cause I know That you're here And everywhere I go I know you're not far away You're right here You're right here Everywhere I go, I know you're not far away. You're right here. You're right here. All these thoughts I wasted. All these thoughts. I fear Even when these thoughts Are faded Now I still know That you're here Cause my hope Is in you And everywhere I go Everywhere I go, I know you're not far away. You're right here. You're right here. The many times that I have felt alone. The many times that I have felt the world was crashing down upon me. 
seated except you guys can stay up what a joyful time it's resurrection sunday and we've got three young people who are just raised in a wonderful home that they've been taught about jesus they know jesus and uh, they know what they're doing they're up here to accept jesus christ as their lord and savior and i'm gonna ask gianna and emma and freddie do you believe that jesus is the christ the son of the loving god and based on your all's confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ of the Son of the living God, we're going to take all three of you back and baptize you into Christ right now. Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. 
This is so exciting. Last week we had three baptisms. The week before, I think it was one. Today we get to celebrate three more. And you know the best part is it's not because of us. It's because of his love for us. We didn't do this. He does this. And I promise you, if you're putting it off for a special day to be baptized and come to him, don't put it off. I'm going to give you an example. I'm reading from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. For those of you that are following along, if you see that I skip a few words, you can explain that to your children later. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a court-appointed official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip's running alongside this chariot. And, and it's not a, a rickety old, like, Yugo chariot. This is like a Mercedes, Mercedes-Benz type uh, chariot because this was a high-ranking official in charge of all of the riches of the Queen of Ethiopia. So Philip joins in the chariot, and continuing in verse 32, it says, Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, 
Justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the Ethiopian said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the Ethiopian said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the Ethiopian, and he baptized him. And when he came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the Ethiopian saw him no more. But he went on his way rejoicing. So first, the Ethiopian didn't know how to interpret the scripture he was reading. He had just come from worshiping, but he didn't understand what he was reading. So God provided Philip. So what do we have today? We have the Holy Spirit in order to uh, help us to interpret scripture. But here's the most important part to me. The Ethiopian didn't wait. He didn't want to get his life right first. He didn't want to get back in city. He didn't want to show up before the church so he could have a crowd or an audience. He wanted to do it right now. So when he understood the importance of baptism and accepting Christ, he came at that moment. So that's what makes this an exciting day. It's me again. <laughs> it's 
so this is not an attestation or um, recommendation or whatever, but uh, Stephanie and I went over to the mall last night to see Godspell, which is playing in the theater. I think the last time we saw that was probably about 1980 in a theater in the round in Germany. But it's really fun because whether that is purely a scriptural musical, it's cool because you see how it affects the people that are performing it. Um, and of course, The Last Supper is portrayed in that Godspell musical. But here's how it really went. I'm reading from Mark 14, first of all, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say unto you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So when is that? When will he drink again? I'm going to jump over to John 14. Um, let's see here. And I'm going to just start. Yeah, that's where I meant to be. John 14. This is starting in verse 1. But see, here's the thing. The disciples are, are still kind of confused when they're drinking that cup, when they're eating that bread. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do this again until we do it together. And that's the excitement of communion. We're doing it to remember, but also to prepare. Because in John 14, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, and where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So Jesus is preparing a place for us right now. He knows which room is yours. I, I don't really think they separate the Baptist from um, the... I don't know. That's... That's the beauty of the love that Christ has for us, though, that he has gone to prepare a place for us. He's promised that, and all we have to do is be baptized so we can celebrate that true communion with our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a glorious day. We, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate Easter because, Lord, even though you sent your Son as we celebrate on Christmas— we were all born. We all came into this world. But only your son took our sin to death and then defeated death and rose again. And without that, we could not have eternal life in you. So, Lord, I just thank you so much for that. I just pray that uh, we feel your blessing on each person that partakes in this communion. In Jesus' name, amen.
for announcements. Excuse me, we, we will not have any youth activities today because it's Easter. Uh, we have our LOL group is meeting on Tuesday. We have leadership team meeting. We've got all of our studies this week. Um, save the date. CareNet Ministries is having a walk for life on May 20th, so if you'd like to be able to do that. Also, if you would, when you, take, when you leave this morning, please take your communion cups out and you can dispose of those. Uh, if you happen to find little crosses laying around, please feel free to pick one up and you can give it to somebody if you'd like, but one of our ladies in first service made those to, to give out. And also, we are still doing our Art of Marriage sign-up, and I want to show you a video clip from that right now. Men, how many times has this happened to you? Me. You know, we, our babies sleep really, really good. Or this. Make sure Timmy wears the blue shirt. If he doesn't... Or even this. And for my birthday, which is next month, I'd really like some of this. Do you have trouble listening or retaining information from your wife? You could be suffering from spousal selective listening or SSL. With SSL, valuable input is intercepted or scrambled before it reaches the critical learning center of the man brain. Virtually anything can trigger it, like sports, food, even shiny objects with buttons. Fortunately, there is help with Heritol. <laughs> Containing a rare root with an exotic name, Heritol helps men focus and listen to valuable female input, even pick up on those subtle hints. These are exactly the earrings I wanted. How did you know? Thanks, Heritol. <laughs> now I can hear it all. Heritol has not been tested or approved by any regulatory agency. Side effects with Heritol include minor to severe headaches and spontaneous combustion. Use caution when using Heritol near mothers-in-law. As you may hear hurtful comments that would have previously been ignored. Heritol is an enhancement drug. Do not use around children or clusters of talkative old blue-haired women. If focused listening lasts longer than four hours, consult your doctor immediately before your wife assumes this is a new standard in your relationship. Men with wives who are nursing or pregnant should not take this product. Heritol, the preferred selection or solution for selective hearing. I, I, I don't. The objects with buttons and a football and food. I'm, I'm not sure about the rest. But anyway, those are some of the things we're going to be, some of the, it's not like intense drills, you know, basic training therapy, but um, if, you, if you'd like to enhance your marriage, if your marriage is having some struggles, even if it's good, it's not just for, you know, we're not going to be saying, well, it looks like Jeff and Robin are having problems. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it, it'll be a good, a, a good opportunity. And so we have a couple kiosks set out. There's a QR code in your bulletin that you can scan and sign up. Just remember, realize if you sign up, it is non-refundable. We have to do that because we have material costs in it. So I think that's all the announcements. So at this time, we ask that you take note of the prayer concerns that are in the bulletin. Last Sunday, we had three baptisms, and that was a real blessing. And of course, today we got to see three more, so what a joy. So let's stand together, and I'll close this in a word of prayer, and the band will give us a song to uh, roll out with. <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much that we could be together this morning to see three give their lives to you. And Father, I pray you'd be with everything that we have, all the folks we have in our bulletin. We're, we're, we're praying for Karenette. We're praying for all the different organizations that we support. We're so thankful for the opportunity we have to be able to, to lift these to you. Father, I pray that as we live life this week, we live it knowing the resurrection is true and that when we see you, our life is never the same. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
the dick game. <laughs>